You would think that after four years, I would know when it's my turn to preach. I looked at Kate, I said, is it me? She says, you girl. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, I was about to make a disclaimer about this message, but I'm not going to. Just hear what the Lord has to say through this, his servant, daughter. Pray with me if you would. Kind fathers, in the sweet name of Jesus that I pause to say thank you. Thank you, God, that you see me. Thank you, God, that you make me aware of your awareness of me. And so, God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would hide me, that these, your servants, sons and daughters, might not see any of me, but all of you. This is my prayer in the strong name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. Amen. I want to invite us to consider this as a subject, the power of seeing clearly. The South Atlantic region of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated chose as a theme this year, I see the 22 in you. Hence, my little eyeglasses on my chest. This theme is pretty significant because it reminds all of the Delta women in this region that it is important to remember why our 22 founders began our organization. Because we're based on Christian principles and we do our service through sisterhood, scholarship, and social action. This means we have to see the people in the community. We must be willing to see one another because there are certain demographics of people who are frequently overlooked as if they were wallflowers. Who, there are those who are ostracized or not considered when laws are being made and it tends to leave people feeling like they are less than not important or not enough. This has been a perpetual problem in our country down through history with the likes of indigenous people, African Americans, women from every ethnic group, the LGBTQ plus community, immigrants, poor people, and I could, could go on with a list about people who don't feel seen or heard. As I thought about people who haven't felt seen, I was drawn to the original Constitution, which did not refer directly to slaves, but it didn't ignore them entirely either. Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution of the United States declared that any person who was not free, we know who they were, would be counted as three-fifths of a free individual for the purpose of determining congressional representation. The three-fifths clause thus increased the political power of slaveholding states. It did not, however, make any attempt to ensure that the interests of slaves would be represented in government. This is why the fight against voter suppression is so critical in 2023. And while this article was repealed on the books over 160 years ago, the attitudes that were passed down by those slaveholding families and those slaveholding states remain in a lot of hearts in our country today because people of color and women are still seen as three-fifths of a human being in the eyes of many people. The last three years of my life have been filled with a lot of eye-opening experiences, yes, pun intended, 
It has been most difficult to personally experience the racism that is running rampant through this country in so many ways. It has been extremely taxing to, have the, to face attitudes of privilege and entitlement and still be required to love God's people, not because of their attitudes, but just because they're children of God. But to, we have to simply love people because God loves us, and we don't get it all right either. I've had some joys in the past three years as well, like the work of healing that I get to be a part of, and the work of ministry and hospitality that we share in this place. I also have the privilege to serve on a steering committee of clergy members called Pastors for Racial Reconciliation. I take issue with the word reconciliation because it implies that the racial divide in our country was at some point non-existent and that there was some agreement from both sides for slavery to take place. That, my dear friends, is a complete lie. But I digress. One of the conversations in our Pastors for Racial Reconciliation meeting last week was about how we are to move forward or move the needle of racial healing, especially in our region, because there is so much pain right here in Richmond, Virginia, that we don't readily talk about. And Dr. T. Turner made a statement that has stuck with me since our meeting last week on Monday, which is the driving force behind this message tonight. T. said, until European Americans see us, black people, as human beings, we will never have racial healing in this country. As long as we are seen as three-fifths of a human being, we will never have equal footing. I added to his comment by saying, we're in this race work together. But until our European sisters and brothers step up and make this truly about transformation and not only about information, we're going to remain on the proverbial hamster's wheel of racism. That conversation took me back to a blog my baby brother wrote on my website in 2017 about the power of being seen. He wrote about Sawubanu. It's an African Zulu term that means we see you. It is a greeting used when two individuals come within the presence of one another. The Zulus have been taught that there's an obligation at the point of exchange between two individuals to investigate why they are here at this time together. They believe that they, they enter into relationship with people, with their ancestors, and with one another, along with them throughout life, and therefore, it is not only I who see you, but we all see you. Think about the power wrapped in that statement. Next to physical survival, the greatest need of a human being is psychological survival to be understood, to be affirmed, to be validated, to be appreciated, to be seen. I share this excerpt from his writing. He says, and I quote, throughout my life I've always known what it feels like to be loved and wanted. I come from a strong supportive praying family and a large community and network of friends and extended family members who provide the care and reassurance needed to make it through life's troubling times. And even with so many resources at my disposal, human tendencies plague me at times and I start to question my value, my worth, 
and my contribution to the greater good. He said over the past several days while driving home from work, there have been pro-life protesters outside the local Planned Parenthood establishment. Their gathering always causes me to pause and give thought, not only to their motivation, but the impact and the stories of the ladies who are entering this establishment looking for support, care, or services. He said, I wonder if the protesters actually see the real individuals. They assume seeking abortion-related support or is, the, is their belief or cause so endearing that they fail to see the souls of the individuals they're protesting against. My thoughts are less around the, the pro-life and pro-choice debate, he says, but at what point in humanity did we stop seeing each other? That's a real question. Throughout our journeys and our hardships, we've lost the understanding and the, of the importance of sight. For far too long, we focused on our own existence and our own sense of freedom, and oftentimes it becomes a zero-sum game, meaning for me to be free, for me to be happy, for me to be successful, it requires that someone else has to suffer or not to prosper in a manner that exceeds my expectations. Let me just say, people of God, freedom can't be pursued out of self-interest and selfish gain. It must be a mutual gift with the understanding that if I limit someone else's freedom, I limit my own. Do you know if you have hostages, you're being a hostage held also? Because you gotta keep up with the hostage. I believe our text this evening is a great illustration of the power of seeing one another clearly. It's a communal image of support and advocacy that says when you can't see clearly yourself, you know that there is a sister or a brother or two or three who is willing to take you to the one who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above anything you can do and you can get the help that is needed. In the eighth chapter of Mark's gospel, Jesus is not short on his miracles or advocacy. Earlier in the text, he demonstrated his ability to perform miracles by feeding 5,000 plus, because here again, you know the women and the children weren't counted. He checked the Pharisees and the Sadducees for their ridiculous behaviors, just like church folk, and that their thoughts and behaviors were always about them. And here we are in Bethsaida with a man in a village who cannot see. But thanks be to God, he had some folks who cared enough to take him to Jesus and plead on his behalf for Jesus to heal him. Question, do you have anybody in your life that you trust enough to go to Jesus on your behalf when you are operating from your blind spot? Better yet, do you see the people you love or the people in your circle clearly enough to go to Jesus and plead on their, their behalf? That's a rhetorical question, but a real one. Here we see Jesus moving from location, one location to another, and what I realized was that Jesus was performing miracles in different places, and he used different methodologies in each one of them. Feeding the 5,000 in the early portion of this text, Jesus asked the people, what do you have in your basket? 
So sometimes Jesus is going to use what we already have. He's not looking for an outside source. But in this text, at this pericope, he took what, what he had, and y'all know it was unconventional. <laughs> he took what he had and get, did it, performed a miracle on a man by spitting on him. Now in 2023, can I just say if somebody decide they want to help me and they decide to spit on me, it's going to be a fight. I'm going to be blind for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> somebody spitting on you is offensive now. They didn't know for sure who Jesus was. They just heard about a man who was performing miracles, but this man allowed it to happen, and I guess he didn't see it coming. <laughs> The passage found in Mark 8, 22 through 26 is significant because it showcases Jesus' unique healing method and emphasizes the importance of faith in the healing process. It also demonstrates the gradual revelation of spiritual truths to each individual. Lest I keep you too long, let's look at this text and see how we can begin to see one another clearly. The first thing I think we must be cognizant of and open to is the truth about our situation. In any 12-step program, the first step to healing is to admit, I got a problem. And so even when you are not willing to go, somebody else might have to take you. You have to admit that you have a situation going on. This text for me was an eye-opener. What stood out for me was that I was looking at people through spit-laden eyes. Lisa, I'm not talking about the text. Lisa has been looking at people through spit-laden eyes. I can see people, but am I seeing them clearly? What stood out for me was that we often are in company with people but don't really know who they are because we're looking at them through the lens of what TV has told us or what society has said about them or whatever the it is that we cannot see our sister and our brother clearly. Yes, the Lord had touched me, but I was still looking at people through blurred lenses with an expectation that they were looking at me the same way. It's almost like I'm looking at you, Katie, look at me looking back at you. And so do we see each other? Are we really seeing one another? I was expecting people to behave badly because I had had past experiences, and so I put everybody in the same box. So I have to be honest about my situation and confess it's so that the one who is able to heal would touch me a second time and I would receive clear sight. So we must be open to the truth about our situation. And secondly, we must be open to people interceding on our behalf. Now don't get me wrong, I don't want everybody praying for me. That's just the truth. Because everybody doesn't have your best interests at heart. And sometimes people are praying with you, and then there are some people praying on you. I, I ain't talking about nobody. I'm just saying what I'm saying. Sometimes we just have to be willing to hear what other people are saying when it is coming from a genuine place in their heart. And you know who those people are. If my friend or my family member says, Lisa, 
we need to pray. We need to go to God and ask for your healing. And I know it's coming from a sincere place and not a manipulative space. By all means, pray for me. Don't let, your, don't let my pride or your pride about your blind spot keep you from getting what God has for you. Sometimes our Jahari window is in full effect and you don't know what you don't know. So you have to be open to uh, hearing people pray for you if you're operating from a blind spot because you cannot see clearly and you don't know what's coming up on you if you can't see. Trust the people who have proven themselves to be trustworthy, to be honest with you and allow them to seek God on your behalf so we must be open to the truth of our situation. We must be willing to let people intercede for us. And thirdly, we must be open to unconditional healing. The last thing I would expect is for someone to spit on me. Read the text, it says Jesus spat on the man. Now I really, really, really want to spend some time right here, but that's not the message for tonight. That's not what I want, I don't have time. If I was in the Black Baptist Church, I would really talk about what that means and because I would have the time to do it. But here at Richmond Hill, I'm gonna try and be obedient. Um, and just say, if somebody decided that spit was it, I'm blind, y'all. But Jesus using this unique healing method stands out because it is so very unusual. And it's one of the few instances where Jesus' healing was not immediate. Let that sink in. You know, Jesus touched and immediately. Jesus went and immediately. Jesus laid hands and immediately, not right here. Jesus had to touch him a second time. R.C. Sproul says, it is as if through this two-stage healing, Jesus was saying that the disciples had begun to see dimly. Church folks, they were not in total darkness. Their eyes had beheld many of the marvelous things of Christ, but they had not yet seen clearly. If they had been asked to describe who Jesus was, they might have said, in effect, I see a mighty oak walking around but I do not really see nor understand the full measure of who he is. What I realized in this text was sometimes the last thing we thought was healed needs a second touch from the Lord. Let that sink in. Because a lot of us have been to the doctor, we've been to the therapist, we've been to the, the spiritual director, we've been to the counselor. We've, I mean, we've been everywhere. We like the woman with the issue of blood. We've been everywhere, spent all our money, and we start to feel better, and so we think we're good. And all it takes is one little poke, and you realize you need a second touch. So let the Lord touch you a second time. Sometimes the sister or brother that we saw with blurred vision really isn't out to get us or to sabotage us. We just can't see them clearly. Sometimes we must be willing to go to the one who can fix our situation and surrender to the Lord's method even when it doesn't fit the norm because it may just take a little spit. <clears throat> you know how your mom did, or I'm talking about me and my sister George, mama. You know when you were a kid and you had crust in your eyes, your mama would stick her finger in her mouth. And my thing is, mama, why you don't stick your finger in my mouth and let me put my own spit on me? <laughs> mama would stick her finger in her mouth and then decide she's gonna wipe our eyes to make sure now, is my mama the only one who did that? Y'all mamas did that too, okay. 
Yeah, my mama was wiping away whatever it was that was causing us not to be able to see clearly. Or if we had something around our mouth, I said she must want us to speak clearly also. But we must be willing, I'm gonna go on, I'm not gonna stay there. We must be willing to be open to the truth. We must be willing to allow someone to intercede on our behalf. We must be open to unconventional methods. And finally, we must be open to cutting off some people and places that keep us stuck in our blind conditions. If the people in our villages are the ones who are comfortable with us remaining stuck in our state of darkness, get out of that village. Note what Jesus did in the text. In verse 23, Jesus took him away from the village. Jesus' approach to healing is personalized. He considers the specific needs and circumstances of each person. The fact that Jesus took him outside of the place where he was unable to see underscores Jesus' individualized care and attention. If Jesus took you away from the people who bought you for him to heal, it might be that those people need you healed for some other reason than be really healing. I'm gonna let that just sit there right there. It reinforces the idea that Jesus meets us where we are and tailors his approach to our unique situation. If Jesus thought this man could survive and remain healed in this village, I don't think he would have said in verse 26, do not go back to the village on your way home. If God has a destination for you and you know that the village is not healthy for you, don't go back to the village. That could have been the message right there. Don't go back to the village. Because something in the village is keeping you from seeing who you are and who God is. It's keeping you from seeing who your sisters and your brothers are. If you are sick in the village, get out. What am I saying? Do not go to those people, those places, or those things that can cause you to be blind. Don't go back. As I close and take my seat, I want to suggest that the gradual restoration of a blind, blind man's sight can be seen as a metaphor for spiritual blindness as well. In his book, An Anthropologist on Mars, neurologist Oliver Sacks tells a story about Virgil, a man who had been blind from early childhood. When he was 50, Virgil underwent surgery and was given the gift of sight. But as he and Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. I'm gonna repeat that just so you can get it. Having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. Virgil's first experiences with sight were confusing. He was able to make out colors and movements. He was able to make out shapes, but arranging them into coherent, a coherent picture was most difficult. Over time, he learned to identify various objects, but his habits, his behaviors, and his thoughts, thoughts were still those of a blind man. This must be a heavy word, because y'all are looking at me like, oh my God. <laughs> Just as the blind man initially sees indistinctly, our understanding of spiritual truths can, and people can be cloudy and incomplete. I believe it is going to take another touch from Jesus. 
I believe it's gonna take a deeper interaction with Jesus for us to all gain full clarity and comprehension of these truths. I'm grateful I can now be open to the Lord's teaching through his actions because his actions in my life have often been unconventional and most often uncomfortable for me. So I had a hard time getting the message he was trying to convey to me. This text is one that could be taught or preached over several weeks, but I'm not gonna do that to y'all. I really am going to close with this. Y'all know we close about three or four times in the Baptist church. There are many questions that remain for me, but my biggest question is, how effective am I being in seeing others as they enter into my space? Am I offering Sawabana so they'll know that not only do I see them physically, but my ancestors and I see their souls as well? Never doubt the power, of, power you have in making someone feel special, valued, or simply seen. Despite our beliefs and differences, we are because of one another. The African phrase of Umuntu Ngumuntu Nagabantu says, a person is a person because of other people. In other words, I am because we are. And we are only because God is. You are not alone. Never, never, never alone. God is with you and so are we. I pray we live into the Ghanaian phrase when we meet with another individual. In Ghana, when you come in contact with someone, you say, I see you. The response is, I am here. Can you see me clearly? May we have the grace to make it so. Amen.